Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive Podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our July UX event, where you'll hear from Albert Kandari. Albert was the Product Design Director at Instructure and is currently the Co-Founder and Chief Experience Officer at Spiff. This presentation will help bring awareness to various levels of design maturity and a framework to orient where you and your team are at. In the context of this framework, Albert will also explore ideas, experiences, and ways to level up your career and your team to drive design as a business strategy. A big thanks to the V School for hosting this meetup. And finally, be sure to join our community on Slack, where there's always lots of great conversation happening about UX product management, and more. You can get an invite to our Slack group and find more information about Product Hive at producthive.org. So now, let's hear Albert's talk, Design Business Strategy. My name is Albert Kandari. I'm a designer and a co-founder at Spiff right now. Um, and uh, one of the things that I've been passionate about is this very topic. Like when I started my career, when I was young as you guys, one, I have this, uh, I have this um, hypothesis. So like if an enterprise adopt design as a business strategy, then it will have a competitive advantage that impacts your bo the bottom line of the business. And at that time, maybe for you guys now it might not be a big deal, but it was a big deal before. A lot of design is done as a very production work, you know, that's really geared towards production. You do design, you got requirements, and you build on those things. And I've been chasing that, trying to prove this hypothesis along through my career. Um, I was so passionate about it that about a year ago, when I had the opportunity to actually prove that to myself and also for the, the craft of design from the bottom up, from ground zero, I took it. And even though I loved the team that I was with, I uh, was a director of product design at Instructure. And dude, I, I left that team with like heavy heart. You know, it's like, I, you know, I didn't want to leave that team and I love the company. But this is my chance to actually prove that like, yeah, this could actually work from the bottom up. And I can tell you my experience later, what, what if it does really work. So I remember putting my resignation letter um, that, that I got a few kind of like, hey, why are you leaving? Like, you've been there a while and you know, it's been a great company. And um, I remember um, a couple of interviews with our CEO, uh, Josh Coates at that time. He sat me down, it's like, what? You know, you know, if you guys know Josh, he's just like, He's a very straightforward guy. You're just like, are you crazy? You know, um, are, are you nuts? You know, so I sat with them. I was like, say, Josh, you know, I have no other good reasons. This is such an awesome company, but this is my opportunity to prove what design can do uh, from the ground up. I know it's going to be a hard start, but you know, I want to see if I fail. At least I've proven it that I was wrong. So I want to prove this. Uh, I'm a very curious person. I have this bunch of questions. And it's like, is this even a thing? You know, is is I'm just am I crazy? So it's even a thing. Like, are there data and and biased evidences that this hypothesis is true? And and how do you quantitative quantitatively measure design impact to the business? I don't know if you have that kind of question too. It's like, can, can you really impact that? If so, why are businesses not adopting the design as a key business strategy? So if, if it's really cool, like why not? You know, I only see a few companies, right? And where and how do I and or my design team can get, get started? So it is for you as a designer and also for your, if you're leading a team, this is something for you too. Um, and I think my main goal is that hopefully by the time we leave this conversation or this presentation is that you see your role differently when you leave it. That you are meant to do more strategy as opposed to production work of design. 
Uh, hopefully you see that, and I think, I believe that each of you has that inkling, something of that hypothesis that you need to prove to yourself. And I, I followed that throughout my career and actually drove me to the brink, sometimes maybe not for, <laughs> for a good path, but also like I, 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 I'm glad that I did it. So um, to, to do this, I'm just gonna follow this timeline. I'm gonna talk about two killer research that are out there, and some of you that attended probably front probably have seen one of the research. Um, I'm gonna, let's talk about takeaways. Like, what did you learn from that research? And I'm not gonna do justice on this research because, because of time, but we're gonna breeze through those two research. Um, we're gonna have a commercial break, which is really fast. I know you get tired of listening to me, so we're just gonna have a quick one minute commercial break there. And then we're gonna talk about practical steps. What do you do now from my role as a production designer or a lead or a strategic designer? Where can you take that to a point that you can actually affect design strategy? And we'll talk about a commercial break again and I'm gonna talk about my adventure. Like uh, the, a year ago, what happened after you? That was that a stupid decision that I did and, and left that company, or you know, am I learning something? So we'll talk a little bit about that, and maybe you have a path that going that way too. So anyway, does that sound fair? Or is, is there anything you want me to skip? I'm I'm totally fine. Okay, should we go on with that? Okay, on that path. So let me know if it it kind of bores you into, because I'm I'm really kind of it's kind of a topic for a designer that I'm not sure if uh, it will resonate, but I think it would as, as the times has changed of how companies see design in your role, so. <clears throat> okay, so there's this one company, uh, not, not really company, it's called a, an organization called a DMI, so Design Management Institute. And um, what, they've, what they've talked about is that what they did since, uh, is this organization has actually been in, in, in existence for decades, and, but in about 2013, I think, or 70, they start tracking a, a bunch of company that falls into this category, that in this category of criteria. And they said like, okay, this company actually have an operations that scales across the enterprise. They have a design that holds a prominent place in the company. So they have this six category, which I'm not going through each of them because you can take a picture of that. But basically, they're looking for a company that is more design-centric. It's like, and how are they perform against the S&P 500 index? And the, the results is pretty interesting. Um, so the, the, that index, if you think about it, is just a bucket of company. And then the S&P 500 is another bucket of the 500 biggest company in the United States. And this is what they saw, like trailing over until 2015 or 16, I think. And they see that the performance, the, the financial performance of this company, the growth is about 211% higher. And of course, as designers, how oh, we know that, you know, why, you know, that's that's pretty good. But it still doesn't give us a whole good detailed picture. It's like, what are they actually doing as design? So um, I don't know. So there's two research that give us a little bit more of a microscopic view of actually what's going on in these different companies. How are they adopting design? What are they doing? Uh, I don't know if is Sarah Hathaway here from Envision. I'm not sure he was he was thinking of coming here, but but this is from from Envision, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give them full credit, and this is a shameless I stole this slide from Envision. Um, basically, that they did this amazing research, man. This cost probably thousands of dollars to do this. Is that they have 2,200 companies, 52% uh, in different in America, and the rest is spread out across the globe. So this is one of the most amazing research that you can see, and it's actually available for you to download and actually read through this bunch of research. And I just I'm a little bit kind of geeky about this kind of stuff, so I dive into those numbers. And I'm just gonna share some of the takeaways. Only a few of these uh, companies, 2,500 companies, really realize what design can do. So number one that design can do for this company is they think product usability. And they focus on that one. Like, and it's great, right? It's not too bad. But look around at the bottom that, of that 10%, valuation and IP price. And the second to that bottom is design patents and IP. 
Design can do so much more than usability, right? And even in the middle, the cost savings, you can see a lot of those, um, you can see a lot of those different gamut of design-driven benefits, basically, that you can see in a company. What they found is pretty interesting, and I thought that was pretty interesting, is, is that there's really different level of, of design teams or designers. So you can start thinking about this, right? So 41% of, out of these 2,500 companies around the globe is a level one team. And then you go up and up and up, and you see that 5% of the 5% uh, is on the level five teams. And I'll talk about that, what are these different levels, right? And level five uh, companies um, has proven business benefits, but also this level five, the design adoption in the company is really ingrained in how they do things. So, but there's only a small percentage of that. You got the level three teams, which is 21%. So, so think about that in your current company or your current practice, how you're, uh, how you're practicing right now. So here's the details of that one. So level one is called the producer teams. Um, their design focus, the first row, if you look at it, that's, this is 41% of the companies or design teams in the world, is they focus on the pixels. That's what they do, focus on the pixels. Their design activities are wireframes, design comps, interactive prototypes, and the business benefits is product usability. It's great, that's awesome, right? Uh, it's not bad at all. And then you go to the level two teams called the connector teams. They focus on collaboration. Uh, they do a lot of workshops, they have rapid sketchings, and stakeholder inputs, and customer satisfaction is their business benefits, because they know they can communicate with a lot of this customer. And you get to level three and level four. Level four is pretty interesting, and I think it's pretty hard to get there, but I see a lot of companies, tech companies in, in Salt Lake that are actually hovering between level three and level four. Uh, level three is in infrastructure and operations. They kind of got the design ops down, right? And then the scientist teams, these are the guys that knows A-B testing, uh, they do analytics, um, and a lot of their, a lot of their uh, business benefits are cost savings, time to market is a lot easier, they have brand equity, and they enter into new markets. So those are, those are the activities of level four. But once you get to level five, it gets really interesting. Now they're talking about business strategy here. Design is now a business strategy. They're talking about transpotting and foresight. It's like, this is what's going to happen uh, in the next couple of years. You got data. And as designers, when you're thinking out of the box, this is really suited for you guys. You, you, uh, designers are really good in trending, finding patterns, and that's what you do all the time when you solve problems. But this, uh, you apply that on the business. And they have visions already, like th this is the vision of what a product we want to do. And they have cross-platform strategy. So what happens nowadays is that the, the, service pro the service product and the hardware is really blurry right now. A good designers understand that flow between um, what your software does, how your service happens, and the hardware that goes behind it. The customers right now, the users, does not, doesn't see any difference around it. You may have the best app out there, but then if it doesn't perform in a good hardware, then you know, it's also a bad experience. And if your customer service is really bad as well in the service that you get. So that's according to Envision. This is the, this is the framework that they see. And I think it's really good. It's really clear, actually. This research is awesome. So, so take time to do that. Here's some of the business benefits. There's actually quantitative, and for so long, one of the challenges that we have designer, ah, I can't quantify design, you know? Design is a feeling that you do, you know? Like, but it's not. You can actually track it down to revenue, to the cost savings, the time to market, and valuation. If you can see the red one, the maturity, the level, the red ones are the level five. So the first set, there's revenue. You can see that their revenue is about 4x as the, the design teams or design com companies with design team that performs on level one. So it's a comparison, it's a stark comparison between the two. 
and then the cost savings, you have five times time to market and evaluation of that company. So if you're in a startup or are going to go public, that's really important is 26X valuation is a lot. So 26X is uh, roughly, if you're making an annual revenue, for example, of 1 million, your valuation will be 26 million. It's it's unreal, and for an, a SaaS company, a one million to get that kind of AR uh, annual revenue is not that hard. It's really, it's you can get there really fast. So, and you got the valuation of twenty six is just unreal. So, um, okay, you might question. So, uh, maybe this level five design teams, a hundred designers, they they have a lot of money. But look at this. Look at this average size of design teams. Um, for level one, they got 30 designers. Level three, they got 54 designers in their team. But look at level four and five. They work efficiently, 14 designers and 15 designers that can perform at level four and five. So it's reachable and you don't have to funnel so much money and headcount in that. And in fact, it becomes inefficient when you get a little bit more like this 54, right? It's crazy uh, to get that kind of number. So I love the 15, between the 13 and 15, seems to be the right size, no matter how, what size of the company. Well, I, I take that, maybe a thousand and more is like, um, like in my, previously in my company, people were telling me like, oh, Albert hired three more designers. I would say is like, I don't need three designers right now. And I would throttle it because when you put more designers, it, the, the, the dynamic is not, it, it becomes like some people kind of be not lazy, but be, they become like they're not pushed to, to the right amount of work. So you got to balance that. So, so. That's, that's a fallacy, you think, that you need to more designers so that you'd be in the level five. So something to think about. And there's a lot more. There's a lot of things that you would wonder. It's like, oh, if we report straight to the CEO, then we can be a level five company. Actually, that was another, another uh, not true myth at all. Uh, that's not true at all. So there's different things that we designers wonder, like, oh, you know, I just need to be on the upper CEO stuff and we'll be good to go. So, so don't worry about those external things. What you need to worry about is maturity is embodied in everyday practices. So look at that for the level five. User research strategy, experimentation, UI design. The last one is the level five. Every single Active design activities, the level five teams or designers would actually focus on those different activities. They don't leave a rock unturned. It's pretty amazing. And that's something that also you realize is that to be in level five, it takes a team. One designer could not do all of these. You need to learn to orchestrate a lot of these activities so that you be, um, uh, even dividing or, or actually strategizing who's doing what. So but look at level one. So look at your practices today and say, hey, you know, in level one, for example, they don't, they do zero strategy at all. They don't have any content strategy. They don't have artifacts. They don't have a vision. They don't have competitive analysis. So look at the on the strategy. Experimentation. They don't experiment either. You know, that's, that's, they deserve to be in level one because they don't do a lot of these things. So, so that's kind of the lesson there is that, hey, you know, like what you do every day matters. There's little things that you do. Okay, so I'm gonna do a little bit of fun here. I don't know if this is going to work, but we'll try it anyway. Um, if you go to your phone, and type that one, and I'm curious to see in our uh, on this group right now. Uh, just be honest. Where do you think your team is at? So I'm gonna do this. I'm, let's take let's take some time because I think this is a really interesting uh, data to see here. Is like go to that and then vote in what you think your level of your company is. You got that. I didn't pay for the poll everywhere, so the, the URL is kind of long, so. <coughs> I mean, if you guys got the URL, I'm gonna switch to the results so that we can see where we're at, so. 
Right. Okay. Sorry, guys, for those people that that didn't get to um, didn't get to um, to participate there, but the pool is full apparently. So yeah, this is what we got. Level one. Uh, 28%, level two, connector teams, level three, architect, level four, okay. Level five, we're not there yet, right? So um, kind, of, um, kind of interesting, so interesting kind of sort of data, okay. Awesome, hope that's kind of useful to you guys and I'm glad that you kind of absorbed the concept there. All right, I'm gonna move on to another research. Uh, um, this one is by McKinsey, uh, McKinsey Research. Uh, this is a very extensive research as well. Um, let's see what time we got here. Okay, we got how, about 20 minutes. Uh, there's, the research was done in about five year period, 3,300 public companies, 100K thousand plus of design actions and about 200 million of financial data recorded. So this is over the lifetime of, of five years. Here's an interesting graph that you see. So 95% basically is like, you're doing all those design actions that you do, those, the things that record over the five years. And you can see that um, the first set, if you divide this into four, um, there's a lot of people there, it's the bottom of the line that kind of like maybe don't really do any design work at all. But you can see that trending going up and there's also people, there's different companies here on the top quartile. So if you do, what, when I say top quartile, it's the last 25% of that. So you can see people actually doing a lot of these. Uh, there's, there's a lot of companies that are at the bottom, but there's also a lot of companies that are now moving up and changing design practice. Some really high level data is like, only over 50% admitted that they have no objective way to assist or set targets for output for design. So they're not measuring design at all. So only 50% of that, they measure it. About over 40% of companies surveyed still aren't talking to their customers. Man, it's, if you don't talk to your customers nowadays, you got so many tools, you're a dinosaur as a designer. Seriously, it's, you gotta change that. Uh, you cannot design anything on the vacuum. There's no more reason that you can't. You can, there's Slack, there's so much service, there's so many channels now that you can do. And each company now would fund you to say, I'm gonna do user research no longer, like, oh, what are you doing? You're spending this money talking to users. Companies knows that. They're just waiting for you to kind of justify, articulate the, the business reasons for it, so. Here's some of the interesting stats as well. So on the left group there is the revenues, basically, of this. So they divided this graph into the different quartiles, right? Bottom quartile, second, third, and top. So from a revenue standpoint, companies are actually have a return about 10% more than, 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 the, than, the, than their uh, competition. And then the TRS stands for total return to shareholders. So basically if somebody invested in a company, it's this is the return that they're getting. So for the top quartile, which is the white one, they got about 20.6%. So, so design-focused company is financially and economically rewarded by doing so, right? <coughs> and this one is, and you would wonder, like, one of the things that I like about McKinsey is they're actually saying like, oh, this is what we found out. There are four things that we found out that companies, design team and designers do to actually affect the business bottom line. So here it is. So the first one on the left, sorry that it's not very clear here, but I'm gonna read it to you. The first one is analytical leadership. So analytical leadership is basically measures and drives design performance with the same rigor as revenue and cost. I don't know if anyone in this room does that, right? But there's ways that you can measure that. NPS score, win-loss uh, win data rate. Um, um, I remember like when uh, in my previous company, I, I analyzed like, designers would never do this, but I did, I said like, hey, I need access to Salesforce. 
I wanted to know the win-loss data. So I look at the win-loss data, put it in a spreadsheet, and analyze what are the words that they're using, why are we winning the deal, and why are we losing, right? One of the things that I found out was 95% of winning a deal has something to do with a better user experience. It is simple, simplicity sells. It solves my problem. Everything about a lot of those winning rate has something to do in what you do as designers. That was an amazing revelation to me. Uh, some of the lost data are usually connected to previous relationship and your software is expensive, right? Has nothing to do sometimes with you know, like the, the experience of the product. So second one is cross-functional talent. Make users central. Though I think I was on the tail end of that research, by the way. So there's three. Um, I think that the, the third one is making making user experience everyone's responsibility. So that's the the other the other thing that they did is to actually. Um, that user design, uh, design is not only a responsibility of designer, but they try to delegate some of these design things not only to the designers themselves. I know if you remember my slide is like, I try to kind of poke fun a little bit. Sometimes we think as designers, sometimes we're at fault as well. So we kind of try to circle our boundaries and say, oh, this is what the designers do. But the reality of what are the things that their research is like, when you cross that boundary and you actually educate people to, to kind of see what a good design is, from development to marketing around, that, around you, is actually the most effective and some of these level five companies performs really well. So, um, so just as, as they uh, kind of, as we fix the projector here, I wanted to know what are some of the um, insights that you gained from those research, and I don't know you if you feel comfortable and if you're up to it. I know some some sometimes in this kind of settings people don't like to talk, but if you talk, I got some swag here. There are new socks, and you can actually I whoever say so. What 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 are some of the things? Um, some of the insights that you gain from this two research. And again, I'm not doing justice of telling the research, I'm just giving you the highlights, but I'm curious, what are some of your thoughts among this research? All right, Ooh. I'll get Sh Shane. All right, I like that, how they're able to track specific metrics that businesses care about, that CEOs care about, mm -hmm. and able to like use business talk and, and that type of thinking to like prove that if you do allow design to be a part of sure, the strategy yeah. process, then it will pay off. And if you do invest in doing more user research and other things like that from the beginning, that yeah. also will pay off in the, in the, the long run. run. Cool, that's cool. Thanks Shane, you deserve a sock, Shane. <laughs> and it's not used, so. <laughs> okay, anybody, okay, uh, John? Yeah. And I like what you said about UX being a shared discipline and it's not it's not seen as one member of the team or that, mm -hmm. that title of UX. So yeah, yeah. Some of it shared because for cross-functional teams, they do that really well. Yeah. They're, they're all doing it for the same reason to increase yeah, for sure. the user experience with research with them. Right, right. And it's all done for that same purpose. And when that's not the strategy, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. This is kind of where we're at, where it's, uh, we're, we're trying to evangelize ourselves as more than just a production team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. To, like rub shoulders and collaborate with people and say, hey, let's both do UX. So yeah, that's great. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Thanks, John. Oh, sorry, dude. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm in the field, so I'm having this fairly blank, but I was really struck by how much investment you need to make in people yeah. rather than in quantity. It's quality that the best teams are operating when they're lean. That's yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Okay, I'm not gonna hit someone with this too. So, all right, thank you. Oh, yay! Okay, okay, a few more. Yeah. All right, dude. Nate. Um, I had a question. Do you know what the top <laughs> the top uh, quartile is? What companies there? You know, uh, that's that's interesting. Uh, 
uh, McKinsey did not divulge this in their report. It's a 50-page report. Maybe I just didn't find it, but uh, Envision doesn't either, and I think it's because of the surveys. They're, they're, they're not supposed to share those, so yeah, but Nate, whoo. All right. Yeah, so I've got a question as well. So you needed to talk about your hypothesis of uh, an enterprise adopting design as a business strategy and then end up having a, com a competitive advantage that impacts the bottom line. Yeah. As we're going through the sure. data that's being presented in the research, yeah. uh, in my experience, there's also this sort of side where business leaders that aren't super familiar with design as a business tool and strategy mm -hmm. uh, will neglect or not take into account what you're presenting to them for the sake of what they've experienced over their career sure. that's gotten to their position. Yeah, so yeah. My question is, when you have gone into companies and you're leading this design of strategy um, to sort of like, uh, to basically make it, uh, what's the word, spread throughout the company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How have you gotten the team to buy into your hypothesis and build that? or? Is, uh, do you, sorry, I'm kind of asking. Yeah, what, what do you do basically as a designer to actually get to that level, right? Uh, yes. Okay. And my curiosity lies specifically with your hypothesis and the teams that you've led. And uh -huh. You've gotten them to understand that this is your hypothesis and this is what you're looking sure. to achieve. That's great, and great question. With that. Awesome, awesome. That's an awesome question, actually, which is actually we're going to talk about that exact the same thing because that's a very, very astute question, actually. So it's, it's fun. Oh, awesome. Thank you, man. You got an assistant here. Okay, cool. We're moving on. And then I think, did somebody, sorry, Albert, we, we'll, we'll skip. Is that okay? So here, time, okay. All right, so research. Okay, let's talk about business strategy. Okay, this is from my own experience. Hopefully that answers your question. And this is not written in any book. This is just based on my experience. And, um, and I appreciate, actually, when I ask people, about like, hey, Albert, uh, well, hey, dude, like, what, what can I talk about the values? Like, well, talk about your experience. So Stanford is one of them and say, hey, well, you know, you got some experience, so just share some of this. So what, what I experience sometimes is exactly what you're talking about here is this. This is business strategy and this is design. <laughs> it's like your C-level people, business people, is like, oh, yeah, design, those designer dudes over there, right? And there's this distance, this gray blob right here, and how does design impact that at all? You know, like, they're little things. So here's some of the things that I've done. It might work for you, it might not work for, for you. So this is what I've done for me and my team and in different places that I work in. So, so what I did when I go in a team or lead a team, the first thing that I do is that I help the team master their fundamentals or myself. Um, this is really key and important. Um, a lot of times, we want to go straight to the CEO and tell them what he's doing wrong. But it's really important you start with this very important thing. Master the fundamentals of what you do of your craft. So, and then think about design thinking. So I don't care about if it's the, the traditional design thinking that, that, is, that is put on by the D school, but something to do with strategic thinking. Like, how does your design connect to, to the user's problem? So do that. Um, and then learn how to influence others. This is really important skill for you, the designer, to do. If you're just in your computer pick, pushing your pixels and doing those mocks, you probably should spend a lot of time learning how to influence others. And then we can talk about business strategy. It has to happen from the core, not from outside in. So uh, I'm going to talk about a little bit, if we have time, each of these. We got 15, uh, 12 minutes or 15 minutes to do this. So I'm going to breeze through this because we're running out of time. So mastering the fundamentals. So I don't know if you guys know this name is Vince Lombardi. I love his story. He's a, he's a famous coach. And his trick was in the first day that he managed a team, what he would do is like, hey guys, you'll get them together, they're professional football players, and he start with the football. And said, this is a football. And he would talk about how big it is, how big is the yard line is, and this is what you do in football. And some of his professional players would say, hey coach, slow down, slow down, you're too fast. But he focused in fundamentals so much 
that he wants perfection out of it. I'm talking about the fundamentals because don't spend too much time learning everything about UX because it's gonna take you 10, 20 years to learn everything. Focus on these key fundamentals and learn the rest later. But this fundamentals learn to be learned. So let's, this is Lombardi. In only three years, Lombardi had taken a nucleus of talent and shaped it into a team of champions. And nothing embodied Green Bay's success more than a seemingly routine running play. Gentlemen, this is the most important play we have. It's the play we must make go. It's the play that we will make go. And it's the play that we will run again and again and again. In Green Bay, the play was known as the power sweep. It perfectly suited Lombardi's love of precision, teamwork, and brains. It's a kind of a complex play that looks very simple. There's a lot of things that have to happen for the play to work well. If they do this, we do that. If they do that, we do this. And we adjust to where the defense goes, so the defense is almost always wrong, and the back will run to daylight. Saved up everything I had to go up to a coaching clinic, and Vince Lombardi was the speaker. Now, at this time, I was a young coach. I was coaching in junior college, and to be honest with you, I thought I knew it all. And I go in and I sit in the back. You know, this is this is how stupid I was and naive. Vince Lombardi, you know, the guy that's up there talking, and I'm sitting in the back row like I'm in church. And he talks for eight hours on one play, the Green Bay Sweep. Talked for here. four hours. Keeping his eyes right on the numbers of the defensive man. Took a break, came back and talked for four hours more. So then I left after that and I said, I don't know a damn thing. So um, that talks about the basic, right? Fundamentals, and if you know Vince Lombardi, he's actually the only, one of the only few teams that actually has three straight NFL championships. And I think they have a total of five winnings, seven. From, from a culture of a losing culture of Grand, Green Bay Packers before we hired him, and he switched that around by focusing on the fundamentals. So can you talk about a lot of these principles? of designs, the fundamental, uh, fundamentals of design as if you know it by heart, and you actually lived and practiced it. It's really surprising for me like that when I used to screen a lot of the designers, I would ask them some of the fundamental questions like, <clears throat> hey, what's, a, what's hierarchy? What's a progressive disclosure? What's contextual inquiry? About 85% of the people that interview, they're kind of just like, oh, I guess this is what it is. And it comes to tell me with, our, with the time that we have that there's so many design resources in the web right now, we just copy and paste. We don't even understand what are these principles behind it. So it's like, it's, it's key for you to understand this and a lot of these fundamentals. And I kind of broke it down into like six things. Um, oops. Five things, actually, is to understand the fundamentals of, of your craft. Um, there could be more, but these are the ones that if you kind of understand, live it, and actually practice it, and you can talk about this not for four hours, but for like 10 minutes, and really understand the different nuances about this, then you're, you're, you've kind of you've reached that point that you're, you can apply those. So visual design. Know your fonts, your typography, your color theory. Um, eat your vegetables first before you start going into your Figma or your sketch, right? In Illustrator, like, because that's a fun part. You understand those, I think you'll, you'll be in a good spot. Your user interface design, your information design, interaction laws. Do you understand what a Miller law is? Uh, that a person can only remember seven, uh, seven plus minus two things. Understand those things and you can really apply those principles. Your micro interactions, I see a lot of designers uh, add animation without, under, without understanding what, what is the principle of this animation, right? Does it, does it set expectation? Does it remind them? Does it, you know, a lot of these things that you can dig into. So those are the fundamentals of your craft. So here's the, here's the kicker here. The best designers sometimes disregard the principles of design. Right? When they do so, however, they usually have compensated the merit attained the cost of that violation. Unless you are certain that you're doing as well, it is best to abide by these principles. Before you can break the laws of this design, understand them first when you, when you break those laws. A lot of the really good performing musicians and artists 
and actually uh, they would have this thing that they can break some of these musical patterns, but then they could just create some amazing sound because they know the, 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 the principles. Uh, the principles. So, so we talk about mastery details. Let's move on to design thinking. Um, there's a lot of resources out there, but it doesn't have to be design thinking, but it's a methodology for you to really understand what you're, you're doing. There's a different kind of thinking other than the visual design. It's thinking beyond the assumptions. Uh, it's, there's three things. When you get a requirements, think beyond those assumptions that was given. A lot of, because again, the, the patterns that we see so much, we assume things a lot of times. Think through the journey of that human journey. Again, remember the, the silos of the physical device and the experiences actually has broken down. So you need to learn through, through those to think through journey. And the third one is think continuous iteration. How many of you guys here that would have a, get a JIRA ticket or a GitHub ticket, and then when you're done, you don't go back to it and say, okay, that's done, move on to the next project, right? You need to be thinking continuous iteration. I think some of the tools sometimes that we have are really put us in the corner to do the right thing for our jobs. So thinking beyond the assumptions, an example of this is Cirque du Soleil. Um, uh, Cirque actually broke the assumptions of like a circus is a cheap thing for kids to come with animals, but then Cirque really challenged the assumptions a few years ago and said, hey, Cirque is kind of like a adult entertainment that they can go through and we can charge a premium and we don't have to have animals in but this can be a competition against opera. Cirque is blowing away the, the revenues for regular circus. I think the circus revenue is this, Cirque is just like way out there and a different thing. It's because they challenge whatever that is, they challenge the assumptions that they have. Sorry I'm speaking so fast, um, we're running out of time but um, Thinking through the human journey. Um, every time we start with a company, I usually start a journey map. I don't care how long it takes, and I don't care even if you don't know the, the technicalities of the journey map, just go out there and understand how that human being uses your product. Don't just think about, I'm, I'm working on this screen, get out of there, it's like before they touch your software, what are they doing? And after they touch your software, think about what they're doing. And, and document that and, and share that to the group and understand that. And, and, and you know, there's a whole, this is a whole workshop that you can talk about. So that, but the idea is think through the journey of that human being and there's some tool set out there they can do, methodology that you can use. Um, and it will amazingly open your eyes and kind of widen what you're, what you're actually doing. Um, design, um, think continuous iteration. Um, this is what really happens in a lot of our companies, is you get a direction or a requirements, and then you design it, and you develop it, and then you release it, right? So continuous actually is what's recommended for this iteration, is actually you go back to the human being that actually uses your product, because they're not robots. And you have a reflection, and you go back again, and you iterate on the product that you just released or the feature that you just released. Don't say, I'm done, move to the next thing. You need to know what happened to that. If you leave that alone, you're missing an opportunity there to improve your product. Uh, it's gonna take a little bit more time, but you know, it's, it's fine. That's, that's really what matters. Okay, the next one is, I'll talk about influence. This is the soft skills part. It's probably one of the toughest things that you learn because you can only do this through experience, uh, through experience and actually doing it yourself. So in, when you do influence, you're gonna, you're gonna experience dealing with all sorts of people with different roles, all kinds of shapes, different perceptions. So it's, it's really, you just have to do your magic here trying to navigate around it. Uh, I don't have any slides here, but I got stories that I can tell you, right? So one of these things, for example, is the influence that I had was, um, I, was um, I was working with, with the marketing group. The marketing group actually asked the questions like, hey, Albert, do you have anyone that could help us yeah, with screens and stuff? And like, just put it in our website. And, but that developed into something else where um, now we're kind of telling marketing what is the message of the product how it should be. So we spend so much time with it, they develop that trust and say, okay, 
what is what does the product do? And they actually, it's very interestingly, we we have um, we've done a lot with marketing that actually there is such a powerful voice in the organization that actually can spread your vision of the product across the company and outside the company. So here's one determining factor here. One really simple nuances that is really important about influence. This is McKinsey. Um, our research suggests that overcoming isolationist tendency is extremely valuable. Um, think if you're doing that as a designer, as a design team. One of the strongest correlation we uncovered linked to the top financial performers and companies said is they break down the functional silos and integrate designers with other functions. So you may have your team, but man, don't stay with your team. Go to marketing, go to product marketing, go to finance, go to sales. The wealth of insights that you get from them to be influenced by them and influence them as well is fascinating. It really moves that. Um, it really moves that needle, and you spread where design really should be. Okay, here's the example. Here is basically this is a. I, this is actually in my previous company where um, we started with just giving screen and they just developed the trust and we actually were able to push. This is screen is actually as wide as this whole room on the next conference. And, but we were able to kind of push and influence that and what are the most important things that we can do with the product. So, um, so little things that you do to influence others is important. There's a lot more you can do with engineering. Uh, I got a couple more stories, but I'm gonna keep those, uh, skip those stories from here. That are the four things and then you can manage the business strategy. What, what I did to apply those in the latest experience that I have. So one of the things that we've done is constraint sparks creativity and drives efficiency. And that's why I've noticed. So when I was working in infrastructure, we got bottomless money to actually design, uh, to do any other product. So now we're, now uh, the startup that, that I co-founded with, we had $3 million. And $3 million seems a lot, but it's not very much actually to, to drive a startup. So those constraints that we have to, we, we have to be very judicious in what we do, that pushed us to actually be obsessive with our users. We don't have very much room to waste money. So we go after our user, ask for their feedback, just obsessively asking like, what's wrong? We're very honest about what they're we're gonna, you know, we just follow them wherever they are. So be obsessed with your users. That's one of the strategy that we, the, the design is our strategy in our startup right now. We measure design performance like you measure how much money you're making or revenue you're making. So uh, this is uh, one of the great tools, full story. Dude, I love it, you know, let's, you know, get Pendo or full story to see what really, what's going on. So one of the th interesting things I see, for example, in, in, in full stories, like this rage clicks, right? <laughs> it's like they track how many rage clicks you got. And we address that rage clicks really fast. It's like, oh, there's something wrong with the app. What's going on here? So um, full story is amazing. Measure anything that you design. We design our, our, work, our, our, our website, for example, or we're in the process of redesigning it. And we're very clear. I was really clear with the CEO of the company and say, hey, what is our goal? And I'm not gonna start this design process until we figure out what really our goal is. And these are the three goals that we have. And again, that's matching that numbers or quantitatively saying like, I'm gonna impact the bottom line of this company, right? So we're the only FinTech company that has designed so much influence that we have a financial modeling tool called Designer. So that's, we really push that. And, and now you can see the, the impact or influence of design actually. We see financial people as designers of, of, of finances as well. So we call it actually designer. So what's the impact? Bottom line impact really quick. So we launched, we, we started their startup just a little bit over a year ago. We released a product just a, uh, a few months ago. Here's some of the impact that we have. We get Podium, Weave, Lucid, Workado, Expert Voice, Capture, Redaptive. And I think we have about four in the pipeline of different companies that are signing up for or, or, or have a contract with a product. Here's VZ Investor basically said this on, on one of the uh, uh, one of our meetings where we meet with VC quarterly since like how is everything going is like man design is our best salesman so that that you can push that impact because every time 
you get a demo, they can see how the software works, and every time it works, like, dude, your software is much better than, than the incumbent that we have. Okay, this is one of the videos, one of the Slack messages. Some of the salespeople came. They, they had an implementation and basically, hey, just want to say that we're a standing ovation today at Weave. We have about 50 reps saying spiff, uh, chatting, spiff, 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 and we're building an awesome product for you guys. So, so, that's, so there is an impact to the business if, pushing, if you really push hard for it. It's not easy. Um, so that's pretty much um, some of the hypotheses I made. Hopefully it answers the questions that we have. Think about strategy. And I think just a parting words uh, for, for me is, what is your hypothesis of your career in design? And that hypothesis has to be bigger than yourself right now. Think about that, like, and follow the hypothesis throughout your career. This was my hypothesis, that I wanna push this, and I know that design can actually impact business. Think about that, whatever your hypothesis is, is like as designers, um, or product people, you can actually follow the hypothesis and make it your North Star. So, anyway, that's that's my my presentation today. I wish I had more time. A lot of these things are really jam-packed information, and you can a lot of resources on the web, McKinsey and Vision, and I, I can talk to you about more too about the, the rest of the stuff if you wanna stick around. So, thank you. A big thanks to Albert Kandari for presenting, and again to the V School for hosting the event. If you learned some things from Albert's talk, be sure to share it with your team, or share it on Twitter, and mention us at product underscore hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support Product Hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events. You can find them by searching for Product Hive on meetup.com. And while you're there, go ahead and join the group so you always get the latest updates. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find videos of all the past talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you at one of our next events.